I'm Paulus Van Horn, and you're listening to Organized Noise, a show about hearing, perception, and understanding in new and experimental music. This week's episode features Aaron Dilloway. Aaron is a noise musician best known for his work with the group Wolf Eyes, as well as his solo recordings under his own name. The music you'll hear under his voice is not just background sound. It is directly related to what Aaron is describing, often from bands he played in or was inspired by in his youth. Enjoy. There's a time to live and a time to die. I smoke Elvis Presley's toenails when I want to get high. Hello, this is Aaron Dillaway, and you're listening to Organized Noise. Like, it was one of the craziest, funnest days I can remember. But we were skateboarding all day. Me and my buddies got chased by the police, had to split up. We all finally met up and drove out to Ann Arbor and um, went to go see Laughing Hyenas play. We went down to the basement and there was this opening band called Couch. guitars and like a it's a drummer but he was more like a bongo player like I feel like he had just like two little drums that he'd hit it was total just noise and I was really into you know really noisy rock but I had never seen anything that was so like unmusical and I I kept thinking about him you know and I, I really loved it I thought it was hilarious and you know not my other buddies who went weren't too sure, I don't think. <laughs> and uh, But I was really like, wow, you know, what, what was that? Then a couple of weeks or months later, I was at School Kids Records in Ann Arbor, and I noticed a couch 45 on the wall and I was like how can this band have a record out like how and and so I immediately bought it and took it home and it was uh you know I recognized some of the things that they did at the show from the record I'm like you know these were actually songs that kind of blew me away because it just sounded like a mess to me so I got really into them and I, I went back to the record shop and Ask the guy, you know, what else do you have that's like this? He turned me on to the first Carolina record. I just, I didn't know how to describe it. I still don't really know how to describe that band. It was after we saw Couch play, my buddy Justin and I, who were, we had that grunge band, we, uh, we decided, well, we're going to start a new band. We're not going to play any chords. And we started this band called Galen. We were, you know, very influenced by Couch, very influenced by that first Carolina record. Um, we uh, were recording everything on four track, 
and I found that whenever I would play, it's like I would lay down a drum track and then Justin and I would do the guitar tracks over that. Um, but I noticed that every time I would play the cymbals, it would just wash everything out. So I started doing more kind of Devo style drum beats where I didn't really use ride cymbal that would just kind of cover everything. So that was kind of our, you know, our bass. We were in the Devo uh, Carolina and Couch and uh, Sun City Girls were a big influence at, at the time. The guy from Couch turns out he worked at School Kids, and so we started seeing him there, and uh, so got to know him and and. I gave him a tape of our band. He was like, oh, wow, you know, it's kind of like Beefheart or DNA or something. And Couch had a show coming up with this band Math and this band Bullet in the Head. And uh, Jim had played our tape for the other guy in Couch, uh, this guy Pete Larson. And so Pete was like, well, you guys should open. So he invited us, and that was our first show. We opened up for uh, Bullet in the Head and Couch. Played that first show and and from there, you know, started meeting more of the Ann Arbor people. Um, and at that show was, you know, that that was where, uh, you know, Nate Young from Wolf Eyes, when you know he was a high schooler our age, he was at that show and Twig Harper uh, was at that show. So we started seeing those guys around more, and we would see them at the lab. Twig was always, you know, really easy to spot. He had, like, these crazy dreadlocks with yarn weaved into him that went down to his feet, and he wore a homemade butthole surfer's uh, patch on his on his back, which... And we all eventually became friends and started playing shows together in Ann Arbor. Seems like there was so much time in between that, but, uh, yeah, it was, like, three or so years later. It wasn't that long. I eventually joined that band Couch and went on tour with them when I was like, I think I was 17 or 18. And I did the, I played drums for them on their East or, I'm sorry, West Coast Tour. And, uh, you know, we got to play a gig with Carolina, and I got to, you know, see all these bands and meet all these people I'd been reading about in Banana Fish Magazine. Union 
I'm just waiting for my new friends. Let's see. I, after after I did that tour, I I came home to Brighton, and I moved into uh, this house in Ann Arbor on Huron Street, which was a few of the people that lived at the lab. This guy Brad Hales and um, uh, this band, the Jacks, were like a noise rock band in Ann Arbor. We used to do. Uh, gigs with they they lived there and a few of them were moving out so I moved into the basement there it was like a nasty nasty midwest basement I paid I think 50 bucks a month I built you know like put up some just like shitty pieces of wood and made a little room in the corner of the basement and uh, we used to have gigs down there and I think there was a crazy nautical almanac gig where all this spaghetti and cooking oil got like poured everywhere all over the basement. And that's when I decided I should probably move upstairs. <laughs> and anyways, this house, you know, it was it, everyone who lived there was a musician. Um, and there were about 10 of us that lived there at the time. There were you know, these giant closets in the upstairs room that, you know, people had converted into bunk beds, basically. So, like, Nate from Wolf Eyes, um, this artist Spence Bryant, um, Saul Meltzer, who was the first drummer for Nautical Almanac, uh, Steve Kenny. Gosh, it's, everybody was, like, you know, mus- a music fiend that live there and still are to this day pretty much. But that's when um I was uh I didn't finish I, I like didn't finish some English course in high school, so I didn't graduate on time. And instead of having to go back for this one, it was one semester of like English or something, I had to take a full day, um, even though I just needed the one class. And it was the second semester of it. So I had my whole, you know, summer after my senior year and then half of the school year where I was off, but then I had to go back. And I was working at my high school at the time uh, in the graphics department. uh, printing out, uh, doing printing press stuff, and and so I had to go back to school as a second year senior. One day I was uh, walking down the halls and I see this this girl wearing a free kitten T-shirt, which you know is is Kim Gordon from Sonic Youth, one of her side projects. And for Brighton, that was kind of a weird thing to see. Um, it was a really small town, and not many people were into underground music. So I started talking to her. I was like, you know, cool shirt. And we started chatting. It turns out I was, you know, friends with her her best friend's older sister. And, you know, so we knew a lot of the same people. And So I would make her tapes of stuff. And uh, her and her friends then gave me a tape one day, and it was... It was this tape. It had a sticker that they had made that just said Ron of Japan. And it wasn't a 
wasn't a uh, mixtape. It was actually music and like weird skits that they had done themselves. And it's and it was like uh, you know it was uh, real primitive like Casio uh, keyboard stuff and you know Casio drum machine and recorder and uh, like voice changer like cheap voice changer stuff and it was all like you know recorded really primitively but she was doing stuff Devin Rich is the the girl who I think did a lot of the the stuff she she figured out on her own you know how to cover up the record head to do multi-tracking so there'd be these you know this crude multi-tracking of like her playing somewhere over the rainbow multiple times on the keyboard and it's all like off and it's really blew me away at the time we uh twig and nate and saul were saving up money to press up the first nautical almanac record and um so we all kind of pooled our money together and I had I had started Hanson to put out the first Galen 45 7 inch so we put that out and then uh, you know we, we gathered up all this money to put out uh, the Nautical Almanac record and this Flossie and the Unicorns record which was uh, Mr. Quintron's wife Miss Pussycat did these really kind of freaked out puppet shows still does um but we wanted to put out this, you know, this twisted children's record that she had done. And, you know, we had enough money to do a, something else, too. And we're like, well, we should edit this Rana Japan stuff down to a 7-inch and put out a 7-inch of it. So Twig and I edited it down and, you know, we talked to the girls. We're like, well, you know, what do we, let's just call it Rana Japan because that was what was on the tape. So we put that out. And that kind of... That tape, we were all we were in, interested in electronics at the time, but not so much. We were more into like kind of scronky free jazz and no wave punk and uh, um, but that really kind of pointed us more in the direction of electronic music, and um, that's kind of when Twig and Nate started doing more like you know ripping electronics apart and doing circuit bending and. Um, and yeah, it was kind of, you know, it was these 15 year old girls that just really influenced us to, to kind of change directions. Then I started getting more into tape loops, and I started this band with my friend Steve Kenny called Isis and Werewolves. I always thought of them as like too arty. It was like, uh, you know, eh, tape loops, nuts. You know, like I was kind of made fun of them at the time, and I don't, I don't know why. But um, what it was was I was watching this. Kenneth Anger movie called Invocation of My Demon Brother and the soundtrack is was done by Mick Jagger 
on a Moog synthesizer. And I just, I, the soundtrack totally blew me away. And it, it was so creepy and repetitive. And I had a Moog Rogue synthesizer I had picked up at a pawn shop at around that time for like a hundred bucks. And, uh, uh, but I couldn't, I couldn't get that, those looping sounds out of it. Um, you know, it was like me to, it was more of a keyboard instrument, you know, and Mick Jagger was obviously using a, a modular at the time. And so Steve had recently gotten an eight track player that could record and so what I decided to do was break open these an 8-track tape and make a really short loop and then record my synth onto the tape so I could get these repetitive synth sounds that I heard on this uh, this uh, Kenneth Anger movie and so then and from there then I would run it through you know a delay pedal to kind of start morphing the sound and uh, to give it some movement like there is on the, the soundtrack. And then I started, you know, I'd leave these loops in there for so long and I would make such crude uh, splices in them. You know, the tape would start catching and I started noticing it, you know, the sound deteriorating and always being a little off, you know, never being quite you know, it was all, the speed would always be changing, and then I started really getting into the unpredictability of it and the the, de- the sound of the decaying tapes and how it would just keep changing. Because I'd leave these tapes running for you know a long time, and they're just I really kind of fell in love with that, and that's you know what I started focusing my music on was these tape loops. This has been part one of my interview with Aaron Dillaway. For more information about Aaron and links to the music in the episode, please check out the show description below. If you have additional questions, feel free to email the show at organizednoiseradio at gmail.com or tweet me at paulusvh, that is P-A-U-L-U-S-V-H. Part two of this interview about Aaron's time with industrial noise group Wolf Eyes and his following solo career will be out next week. Till then...